0: If there were any remaining distractions to your focus on worship, I think that song probably just cleared them up. Amen. And cleared them out. It should have anyway. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And, and for all kinds of reasons that I don't have time to this morning explain why that was a precious time. Um, uh, we know why it was and we praise the Lord for it. And um, So thank you for your investment. In us, in preparing our hearts for worship. Romans chapter 11. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at the first 10 verses, God willing, of this chapter. I want you to remember to pray also for Nancy Laughlin's, whose sister passed away this weekend. And um, they're in West Virginia this morning, um, ministering to their extended family there. Pray for their safe return. Um, when you leave this morning, wish Brenda and Alice Vitana a happy 46th anniversary. It's hard to imagine that it's at 46, but I wish them a happy birth, happy anniversary. The, the policeman that's often out here, he's out here more than others, helping direct traffic after church, was also uh, recently voted um, either Lake County or Mennor Policeman of the Year. So we don't want to cause any accidents because that's what he's trying to avoid by being out there. <laughs> But just as you're going by, roll down your window and say, congratulations. Don't stop. Just, <laughs> just keep following. Just, it's, a, it's a drive-by congratulations. OK? Just keep driving. And um, he's, a, he's a good friend of ours and so helpful to us each Sunday, isn't he? And um, we, we appreciate him so much. In eternity past, God had a plan to redeem mankind back to himself, knowing that they were to fall into sin. So, in God's sinless nature before the foundation of the earth was established, He had a plan for man to be restored to Him once they had fallen. Because man is made in God's image, even though He's now in sin, I want you to know that he attempts to construct his own moral, rational, spiritual, and personal way back to fellowship with his creator. Remember, every man's made in the image of God, right? Before sin came into the world, we were able to perfectly worship with God the Father because we were made in his image. Sin came into the world. That separated our fellowship with Him, but there's something in us that didn't change. We're still made in His image. That image includes four things that I've just read. It's a moral image. Even though we don't know Jesus, we still know the difference between right and wrong, don't we? Even though we're separated from God because of our sin, we're still able to rationalize, to think. One plus one equals two. We're spiritual people, aren't we? We all have a soul. God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became a living nephesh, a, a living soul. He's a, we are spiritual people as descendants of Adam, spiritually and physically. And, and we're personal people, aren't we? God is a person. He makes us in, our, in, his, us, in his image, he makes us personal beings. We have personality. There are many distinct personalities here together this morning. And after man falls into sin, he takes this image that God's given him and morally, rationally, spiritually, and personally tries to work their way back to God. They're able to try to do some good things to try to work their way back to reconciliation and friendship with God. But it's still the issue of that sin that leaves them short of their efforts. These moral, rational, spiritual, and personal ways to find their way back to God are what we call religion. And it doesn't matter the brand, the name, the church, the denomination... Religion has many personal, moral, rational, spiritual ways in which they try to become a friend of God again, and and all of those ways, because we're in sin, still keep us shy of a personal walk and a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says there is a way that seems right into a man, but the end of that is destruction. Destruction. And regardless of the thousands of ways man has constructed over time to make his way back to God, God has designed in eternity past his own plan for fallen souls to be restored to him. And that's where we often revel in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 14, right? Where God has set out in eternity past his plan to purchase men back to himself through the grace offered to us exclusively and only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2 tells us that in Christ Jesus is all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. All that God had planned to bring man back to himself was designed to be played out in the person and life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Because God's plan is eternal in nature and began before creation and thus before sin came into existence, there is nothing created, nothing finite that can thwart or stop or alter that plan. There is no created soul or thing that can devise or provide a fair way back to God. God is merciful. We often sing the song, His grace has planned it all, right? It is mine but to believe and recognize His work of love and Christ receive. For me He died, for me He lives, and everlasting light and life He freely gives. His grace has planned it all. His grace has planned it all. Not man made in God's image, devising many ways back to Him. His grace in eternity past. His grace, His unmerited favor, His help from heaven, His way, exclusively His eternal way. His grace, something given to you that you don't deserve. He has planned it all. It's mine, but just to receive it. Our study in Romans has addressed man-made ways back to God. Man is created. He's finite and affected by sin. so, So man, even though made in God's image, cannot manufacture a proper plan of being reconciled to God. Go back in your own time here and right at the top of chapter 11 in your Bible's Cross reference Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 29. We've already preached through that. We're not going to go back and read through that, but this is Paul recounting for us the determination of religion to find their way back to God. Remember, we discovered in chapter 9 and chapter 10 that. That religious people, in this particular context, Paul's religious friends and family, the Jews, had done everything they can, could in their own righteousness to, to make their way back by, to God by following their religious rules and standards. And, and Paul says of his own people, you've missed the very righteousness of God in Jesus Christ because you're seeking your own righteousness to be restored back to God and and even in Romans 2, 17-29, religious people still need to be born again. They cannot establish their own eternal security by means of a pastor, a priest, a church, their own good deeds, right? God has planned it all. His plan was for restoration to be brought back to Him through exclusively His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul lived most of his Religious life attempting to be restored to God to the point of hating and even persecuting those who had embraced God's eternal plan for their salvation, right? Isn't that what the Bible tells us? Paul's way seemed to be right to him before he came to know Jesus. He was a Jew of all Jews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. When it came to religiously obeying the law, there was no one better at it than Paul. For someone to say that salvation is by faith alone and by grace alone in Jesus Christ alone, apart from religious good works, was preposterous to him. After all, Paul's religious construct, back to fellowship with God, included the very law of God. How could that be preposterous? Paul had missed the purpose of the law, though, hadn't he, by his own testimony. The purpose of the law was not to be a law unto itself, but a law that would lead someone to see their need for Jesus Christ. You see, all religion, folks, has become a law unto itself. Religion has become like the days of the judges in the Old Testament. It seems like every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And who's right? Well, everyone's right. Because we, we're all living in this relativistic society where if that's what you believe, okay, good for you. That's good for you. That's not good for me, but it's fine for you. And that whole reality, none of that's fine for anyone when it comes to being brought back into friendship with God. His way is eternally planned. His way is eternally unchangeable. His way is actually the most simple way to be brought back into friendship with God. And religion makes simplicity complexity. Judaism, like many religions, had no problems with Jesus. According to them, Jesus was to come to be a king. He was coming to set up his rule on earth, and and they wanted a kingdom, but they didn't think their king should die on a cross. Did you hear what I said? They wanted a kingdom, but not a cross. But... Not a cross. Remember last week? All the ands, the buts, or the ors to Jesus Christ? Never Jesus alone? They didn't have a problem with Him, but they didn't have a problem with Him and don't forget infant baptism and don't forget giving money to the church and don't forget being a good citizen and, or, you know, Jesus is okay or don't forget Muhammad, don't forget Joseph Smith, don't forget the angel Moroni. Don't forget Pope so-and-so. Don't forget Mother so-and-so. Don't forget, no, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. No ands, no buts, no oars. It's Jesus alone. The greatest, most infinite, noble love has made the way back to God the most simple way. One way and only one. Jesus just Jesus. But then what happens to Paul in Acts chapter 9? Jesus radically transforms this man. Strips him of every religious notion and practice. Transforms Paul's heart by his grace alone and Christ alone, and now a Jew of all Jews becomes the agent of God to bring the sufficiency of Christ Not just to the Jews, but also to the world. So, what's Romans 9 through 11? It's Paul's mini dissertation about his burden for his religious family and friends who are still stuck in their religious ditch. He reminds us that God does save mercifully, faithfully, and righteously in chapter 9. He continues in chapter 10 describing how religion misunderstands and misappropriates the grace and righteousness of Jesus Christ and how each of us here this day are the preachers of Christ to our family and to our friends still stuck in the ditch of religion. And they're stuck, aren't they? They've heard and they've known about the Lord Jesus Christ all of their lives, but they've been reared in an environment of ands and buts or ors. And so they're sincerely stuck. Many of them sincerely stuck. And their sincerity has given birth to stubbornness. Stiff-neckedness. I'm okay with Jesus, but I'm okay with Jesus, and I'm okay with Jesus, or don't forget, no, Christ and Christ alone. You can see why now Paul became a persecuted man. You can see why now the apostles became persecuted men. You can see why now non-apostle New Testament pastor teachers became persecuted men. And they were persecuted of whom? The religious. The religious. Chapter 11 continues to unveil Paul's burden for those who remain in religion and miss the joy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He does so by asking two questions here in verse 1 and verse 7. Let's look at those questions in verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected His people, has He? Speaking specifically here of His religious crowd, if you will, He hasn't rejected them, has He? And the answer is given there, may it never be. No, God hasn't rejected them. What does this say in verse 7? What then? What Israel is seeking, it's not obtained. What then? He uses questions to engage our minds as to how God desires to use us to win some of our friends and family who are stuck in the coldness of religion. And we begin by reminding you back to chapter 10 and verse one, we've got to throw some sincere prayer time into this whole effort, right? Amen. For it's God by His grace who begins to draw the heart, open the eyes to see not just Jesus and butter or, but Jesus alone. So we've got to pray in addition to what we've seen in Romans ten, fourteen to 17 Pray, but each one of us, our feet are precious when we go and proclaim the sufficiency of Jesus Christ alone. But now we've got to discover a few more things here in the first ten verses of chapter 11. And, and I want you to be writing these down if you believe in taking notes because it's very important for us to remember these things on our way to reaching our friends and family who have yet to embrace that Jesus is all they need. In verses 1 and 2a, verse 1 and the first part of verse 2 We need to be reminded that God's plan is forever personal. It's personal. I think it's very important because Paul's going to talk about national Israel here and he's going to talk about spiritual Israel. And national Israel, we know from, I won't get ahead of myself, we we know that God elected this nation politically to work out His plan in the world until Jesus came And that included a spiritual remnant in that group. But Paul's going to start off by giving us his own personal testimony, then the personal testimony of an Old Testament saint, Elijah, to let us remember that God's grace and God's plan is first always individual and personal before it's corporate and national. That's going to help us understand God's ultimate purpose for the nation of Israel. So God's plan is personal. Verse 1 and the first part of 2. God's plan is progressing. It is progressing. The second part of verse 2 through verse 6, and we'll discover that uh, together. It is progressing. But finally, God's plan is permanent. Verses 7 to 10. It's personal, it is progressing, and it is permanent. We'll seek to get through as much of this as we possibly can this morning. I don't seek to hustle through this because it's it's necessary information for us to be able to continue to understand the whole mind of God and His ultimate plan to restore men back to Himself through Christ and not religious means. So we've got to go through carefully, but as efficiently as we can. What does he say in verse 1? I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be, for I too. Notice the personal pronouns here. This is the personal aspect of God's plan. Paul says, I too am an Israelite. I'm a Jew. Don't forget that. God hasn't tossed off his people. If that's the case, he would have tossed me off. Paul said, no, I'm an Israelite. I'm not only an Israelite, I'm a descendant of that unconditional promise that God made to Abraham. As a matter of fact, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not, verse 2, rejected His people whom He, what? Foreknew. Underline that word foreknew. We're not going to go back and discuss Romans 8. We're not going to discuss Romans 9 again. What? Why put that word here? Understand this. Paul puts it here to remind us of what we said by way of introduction this morning, that what God has planned in eternity past cannot be altered and cannot be changed, cannot be embellished, added to, or whatnot. His plan is His plan. His plan to my mankind back to Him is His plan. He foreknew. He foreknew before what? before the earth was even created. God's got this, folks. His plan to redeem men back to Himself, it's His plan. It's His sinless, unalterable, immutable plan. And Paul says here, it was for me personally. Did God toss off religious people? No. But let it be a reminder... That God doesn't seek to save a whole church before He saves the individual souls in that church. One soul at a time. One soul at a time. And Paul starts with himself, not Elijah. He'll go to Elijah next, but he's drove the circle around himself and I was a religious person. I am no longer a person of religion. I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. His plan, His eternal plan included me. Praise God for that. It included me. And let that be an encouragement to you as you seek to pray for, love on, communicate, live Christ before your religious friends and family. Understand, God still saves faithfully, mercifully, and righteously. Don't give up hope. I know you'll agonize like Paul did that we've described, but don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Never, never give up. Amen. Because the Lord has it, has He? He determined an eternity past, and He's still faithfully saving people, and He'll never give up. He'll never give up. I was seated next to a lady recently, Her name was Dawn, and I asked her what she did for a living, and she was an employee of the Discovery Channel. Um, I didn't know this. Many of you probably did. I'm behind the times, but I guess Discovery has an arm called Discovery Education, and, and this arm pays for certified teachers to go around the country and teach certain things to various school districts that they need to learn or haven't had the opportunity to learn up until that point, and her particular angle was teaching school districts how to incorporate technology in the learning, many, many ways. So she was spending 14 weeks in the Brunswick City School District uh, with the school board and the faculty and staff of the schools in that district teaching them incorporating technology into the classroom. So very fascinating, she went into a lot of other aspects, just a, a delightful individual. And then she goes, well, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm a pastor in Northeast Ohio, and I'm headed home. And, and uh, she goes, well, what are you doing on this trip? Is this work or pleasure? And I said, it's, it's work. And he goes, she goes, what are you doing? And, and I said, I, I, I try to help churches. You can't get into the nitty gritty with people, right? You have to summarize, they say. So I just try to help churches know how to have joy again. I try to help churches revitalize and get healthy so they can be happy. And I use God's word, the Bible, to do it. And she goes, oh, wow. She goes, I am a member of a particular religion in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And I'm on the board of the hierarchical structure of that particular religious tradition. And she said, would you be willing to come and and instruct... (laughs) All of our board members, and then each, she was a serious artist, each one of the churches in our district, because we're cold, we're dead, we have no life, no one wants to go to church anymore. She said, when I go to church, someone's sitting there and they've got their coat there and they won't remove their coat, you know, for me to sit down, no one says hello, they come in late, they leave early, no one wants to hang around and talk, the numbers are dwindling, and you folks know, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. They're describing religion. That includes Jesus, but it's and, but, or, or. I was like, well, that might be a tall order for you to get past your board members and your denomination, you know. But I would love to come and talk about how this happens. And then she asked me a question. What is it? And I said, You are a very well educated lady, and I don't seek to correct you. I said, But could I ask you this? Would you be offended if I said it's not what, but it's who? And she goes, Not at all. Who is it? (laughs) What's she thinking? Who's the guru? Who's the who's the motivational speaker? Who's the guy that has a church that's revolutionized the culture where everyone's happy and loving now? Who is he? What's his name? What's his resume? Can I have his resume? What's he cost? 40 grand? What's his speaker fee? Let's get him there. I'll be glad to tell you he's free. And he's the only one that has the answer. And his name's Jesus. But just Jesus. I said at our church, and these churches I go to, we talk about the sufficiency of Jesus. And when people know Him instead of know about Him, that changes their lives. And then one soul at a time, not the diocese, not the denomination, not the whole church, but one soul at a time. Remember God's plans first personal. You've got to own him instead of just know about him. Wow. As a matter of fact, I said, I'm preaching through a series of sermons, and the recorded videos are online, and We're just kind of talking about this at our church right now. Would you mind if I sent you a link? Oh no, please, send me the link. I'd love to watch this. I said, it is the most amazing thing in the world when you realize, or God helps you realize, that this is just Jesus and him alone. I was speaking to one of my son's friends this weekend at his college, and it's another... Individual that grew up in a denomination that taught Jesus. By the way, our former pastor here of 34 years as a high schooler taught Sunday school and he did not know Jesus. He knew about him, but he did not know him. He didn't know him until he was in college playing basketball at Kent State University, where he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ that changed his life. So I'm talking to this friend of my son's, and uh, they're explaining to me the church that they grew up in and that how their family had a split, and that broke my heart. Always breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. But um, just the sweetest, sweetest, sweetest individual. So I got the content, right? But there's still a void. There's still an emptiness. For me, you know, for me, this is just where I'm at, right? For me, it was only one person that can fill that emptiness, that can fill that void that you feel, you recognize in your soul. I said, It's Jesus. And with that, their attention was, they were just glued. It's so simple, I said. It's so simple. I said religion and man makes it complex because they add to him. They subtract to him. Or they give another alternative to him. His plan's personal. Paul said, for me, I am now spiritual Israel. I am not just political Israel. I'm not just an Israelite or a Benjamin. I am a child of God and I'm still a Jew. God's plan is personal. He goes on here to explain in the Old Testament. The second part of verse 2, or do you not know that the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel? And then he quotes, you know, you're familiar with 1 Kings 19, right? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars and I alone am left. Think about that when you know Jesus and you feel like everyone around you is religious and doesn't have him and you feel pretty lonely. And my goodness, your burden's growing for these people. And in and, and Elijah's situation, unlike any of ours, they were actually seeking to take his life. You remember Queen Jezebel and that story and so forth, if you've been in the Lord for a certain amount of time. He says here in verse 4, but what is the divine response to him? In other words, Paul asks, what's the response of God to Elijah? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Be encouraged personally, Elijah. I've got this. I've got you. And, and, and don't be dismayed because I have a remnant. I have a remnant of believing people that I'm calling to myself. I have called to myself. You're not alone. And I think about that in relationship to the local church. You can feel quite alone when you're trying to bear this burden for your religious lost friends and relative. And you're, you're bearing that burden for a really, really long time. A simple reminder here, you're not alone. God's given us a pretty good crew of people to keep us encouraged, right? That he's called out. Well, for national Israel, which is not the church, he had spiritually done the same thing. There would be a remnant that was saved, And of those in that remnant that felt alone in their journey to bring others to faith in Jesus Christ and the Mosaic economy, that could get exasperatingly lonely and Elijah to the point where he just wanted to literally die. Remember 1 Corinthians 19? Lord, take my life. It's just really, it's really not worth it anymore. I've come to the end. I've fought the battles. Paul's saying God's plan is personal it's not only for you to be saved, but it is to use you personally, to use your feet, your mouth, your mind, your heart, to personally explain and live out the joy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ before your religious friends and family. You're not alone. And while you're doing that, don't forget the precious Necessary value of every soul in these seats whenever we gather together for worship. Be encouraged by them. Be uplifted by them. Pray with them. You're not alone. God's plan's personal. His plan is personal. Okay? Not only to save you, but to strengthen you to be an ambassador of the gospel yourself to those who still need the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's pray together. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to listen. Sometimes we hear better when we're not distracted with other senses like vision. Just listen as I read what Paul says here concluding his story about Elijah. Verse 5 says, in the same way, meditate on these words please, there, also, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But, If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Grace, my friends, is God's gift of Christ to you that you don't have to work for. It's free. It's not Jesus and butter or. It's free. And Jesus is that gift. God enfleshed, God crucified, God buried, God risen again for your sin. The only way that God has planned by his gracious choice for you to be restored back to God is through Jesus alone who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes back to God but through me. And that overwhelming statement of love and promise, the Spirit of God works in your life, should rapture your thoughts in your life and say, Oh my, Jesus came to die for me and my sin. The only way back to God is through accepting His sacrifice for my sin. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, right now, cry out to Him. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I'm apart from You because of my sin. Lord Jesus, you died for my sin. You paid for all of it. Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin. I turn from my religion. And I place my faith in Jesus alone. Lord Jesus, save me. Help me. Be my Lord. Fill me. Save me. you prayed that this morning the Lord heard you And quite frankly if you understood what you prayed you're probably feeling pretty relieved about now and if you prayed that I want you to tell someone that you know here if you don't know anyone here come and see me this morning see one of the pastors at the door and you leave just say I prayed that I'm feeling relieved I'd like to know a little bit more about Jesus I'm not a person of religion anymore. I'm not a person scheming my own way to heaven. Jesus is the only way. And I am his and he is mine. And I just need some help getting to know him better. Father in heaven, we thank you that your plan for religious folks is personal. Set an eternity past, brought about by your grace, in Jesus Christ alone they individually can know the joy of life in Christ we thank you for not casting off religious people people that so often can never find And just enough in your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for not casting them off, but thank you for giving them an opportunity, even in our own congregation, in our own community, the opportunity to come to Jesus and be transformed by grace. Help us, Lord, as ambassadors of that grace to continue to help assist religious people know Jesus. Open their eyes, Lord, that they might see. Our desire is for religious people to be saved. Save them, Lord. Please save them. Be merciful to them. And use us unto that end in Jesus' name.